0: Hi, my name is Van Carlson. I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and
1: goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Get Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. Our mission is to have you lead this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Before we get started today though, this is a quick reminder that we are launching our Go Big to Give Big membership. If you are looking to get around people that are more excited about talking about the impact they are making in this world more than the cars they are buying, then you're going to want to go check out go big to get to get more information and join the most philanthropic group of entrepreneurs out there. Now back to the show. All right. I'm excited to welcome our new guest today, Van Carlson. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you, Randy. Looking forward to our conversation we're going to have. Yeah, this is going to be good. And, and it's going to be interesting. I had to do a lot of research to learn about you know what it is that you're doing and your expertise. But essentially, you're the founder of SRA 831B Admin. And that is a mouthful and a lot of numbers. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of what it is that you do within the 831B kind of tax strategies?
0: Yeah. So the 831B is a tax code, very similar to the 401k, It's just where you'd find it in our lovely, I don't know how many pages of our tax code we have now at the federal level, but I know it's in the thousands, but that's where you'd find it. And really what it was designed to do back in 1986 when it came into the existence was really create an incentive for business owners that were self-insuring risk to be able to build up a uh, tax-deferred account to weather their storms. And then back, you go back in 1986, it was crop insurance predominantly. There were some other things going on too with liability insurance, traditional insurances were going up and a lot of chaos. Very uh, ironically, very similar to what we're experiencing today. I'm sure your listeners and you've, you know, the insurance industry are leaving areas. They're fusing the right new business going forward in a lot of areas. I can go on and on about different stuff, even in in the Intermountain West, down to Texas, what's happening in Texas right now with the the ice storms they've had. They're starting to limit coverage there. We're limiting coverages in wildfire areas. So there's a lot of stuff going on inside the insurance world that wasn't there several years ago. And it certainly wasn't, you know, when you fast forward from 1986 to now, You know, with brand protection, supply chain risk, dare I say, COVID-19 and, you know, traditional insurance companies weren't covering any of these exposures. Really what 831B was designed to do was for business owners to really have their own PPP plan and build up these tax deferred accounts to, again, weather storms and weather the risks they were self-insuring for. And that's where the code comes from. And we're their administrator, but we're making sure they adhere to the rules. No different than you would have a 401k administer your 401k plans. You need somebody to administer these plans. And that's, that's
1: really our role as a, as a company. So to break that down to simple terms for the audience, I'm a business owner and I can open up an 831B. I can tax defer money into that account, and then I'll be able to go and use that money as an insurance against anything that happens in my business that maybe a normal insurance broker wouldn't insure against.
0: That's exactly right. Hey, you know what? If you're looking for something else to do, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: I, I love The problem
0: it. is you start to sound like a rocket ship sometimes because first off, it's insurance, it's risk exactly. management. It's not that, you know, it's, let's be honest, it's not that exciting, right? But, you know, it's a necessary part of your business today. And I think all business owners,
1: you know, they don't really understand the risk they've taken sometimes until it's too late. So Can you grow that money in there, tax deferred, oh, yeah. like, like so that you can use that as an investment? Very similar to 401k. 401k. Yep. It's
0: amazing. We work with financial planners to manage that again we don't manage that money we we yeah. expect our clients as advisors to do all that and so yeah it's just a, it's a good partnership you know trust relationship going on between a lot of different parties there but you know not always a good risk management we just tell people it's just good business to be able to do this uh,
1: it's such a quiet thing i know you joke about being you know over a 15 year overnight success type thing or 16 year overnight success you know 16 years ago when you're getting into this What got you excited about it? And then why isn't this such a mainstream topic now for people to talk about? And why did it take some of these disasters for it to actually become mainstream?
0: You know, I got into it because of the Great Recession. I was selling traditional insurance. no different than any other insurance broker. And unfortunately, I saw so many business owners that just took a ton of financial risk. And then, you know, these guys went out of business. I mean, it's, you know, started to mean things. Covenants were called, loans were called. I mean, and they were finding themselves going out of business and they were clients of mine, these were friends of mine. And I figured out had to be a smarter, better way of doing business. And, and I was exposed to this idea right about the same time. And then I, I witnessed people that had planned for these, had had these plans in place. And what they were able to do, I mean, not only did they survive, but they flourished. And to me, you know, if I can bring that down to the small to middle market business owners, the ones that, you know, employ 80% of the American people, generate a ton of ideas, revenues, and truly care about the employees that work for them to bring these kind of ideas down to them because really when i say 1986 this code came into existence the, the people that adopted it quicker was the fortune 500 companies the yeah, main yeah. big large companies adopted very quickly to this and it was a normal business practice in their world it just you know due to fees and do some other things it just wasn't mainstream you know at all i mean these are little secrets that are kept behind other people so other people don't know about them, truthfully right. and our competitors typically attorneys or cpas and to be quite honest with you, we're all really bad at marketing. You know, I have a really good marketing department now. I mean, it's whether reasons I'm here with you is that, you know, we're moving the conversation along and unfortunately to your point, I think sometimes things like, unfortunately things like COVID-19 that come around, you got to have a little bit of shock and awe to get people's attention. Like, you know what, I am doing a lot of things on my own and how do I mitigate that more effectively and efficiently? And do I really want to be dependent on the federal government next time? to bail me out because we have another covid 20 or whatever it is.
1: You know, I hope it never happens. Like, you know, nobody saw covid 19 coming either, I don't think. No, that's amazing and I think it's a very cool strategy and I think there's more and more of these strategies coming out. We see infinite banking becoming a very popular conversation these days and I think people are starting to understand that there's more tax strategies available to small businesses now that used to only be available to the elites that people are starting to make mainstream now to support small businesses so they can continue to grow, be a little bit safer, be a little bit more sheltered. So I love that you're bringing this out to the public. I want to dive in a little bit into risk mitigation. It sounds like you've worked with a lot of businesses and you've seen a lot of the risk. And I know one space you work in is not living in fear, but living in the ability to not have the fear. So when you work with businesses, what is a lot of the fear that people have and how does this eliminate it? Depending on the industry and
0: really depending on their own experience. I mean, unfortunately, they'll, when you start diving into this conversation with business owners and, and, you know, if you've been in business long enough, you've had a nightmare story happen, meaning yeah. you called your agent, you said, Hey, this is what's happening. And he tells you, Hey, it's not going to be covered or, Hey, here's what's going to happen if you turn it in. So a lot of times they, you know, and then that just multiplies that fear and then business owners measure risk reward all the time the troubling thing I've seen is when the risk outweighs the reward they're not going to do it I can't tell you how many times I've sat in business owners that they're done growing or hey I'm just gonna sell this thing and walk away because I'm done with the the regulations I'm done with the political risk I'm done with you know I've got this cyber stuff now I gotta worry about I <laughs> data used to be one of the things that you would collect and now people are saying it's kryptonite you shouldn't be having it you know it's like well, wait a minute you wanted me to collect their birthdays at one point so i can send them out happy birthdays and now you're telling me i shouldn't have done that it's just it's a confusing time on so many levels but at the same time the risk profile for businesses has just gotten super crazy i mean you talk about supply chain risk i mean the global economies that were were and you know you might be based on a like ford i remember during ford, ford couldn't get some chips and they stopped manufacturing well ford can maybe weather that storm i mean small to middle market business owners they have to shut down their plant because they can't get one washer yeah. that causes a rippling effect throughout the communities, you know, with their employees. I mean, you know, besides the things like COVID-19, right. But there's a list of things that go into risk management today that again, big companies have adopted a long time ago because they had those risks. I mean, nobody was selling them even traditional insurances. So they had to go out and do it on their own. Now you talk, speak between the small to middle market business owners. I mean, we're looking at first dollar loss. When I mean, when I say first dollar loss. You know, it used to be that, you know, if I did damage to my car, I pay a collision deductible. That was my first dollar loss, meaning I was on the hook for the first $500 of damage to my vehicle. Now we're seeing it in commercial insurances where, you know, more and more in order to offset the premium increases, the business owners are taking on more and more of their first dollar losses. And those are things that we called unfunded liabilities. Because if any of these things were to happen on unplanned circumstances, you're just going to pull it out of cash flow. And anytime you start pulling money out of cash flow and unexpected expenses, you know, you put the business at risk. You know, I call cash flow the blood of the body, man. Without it, you don't have much of a business. I mean, you got the cash flow to keep it going. And so those are things that we talk about all the time with business owners. And and unfortunately, you know, if you've been in business long enough, everybody's experienced something along those lines.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to dive into a little bit of you as an entrepreneur now. You started this business 16 years ago and you say you're a 16 year overnight success and it's you know just starting to grow quite a bit now. What challenges did you face? How did you stick with it? Why didn't you give up, you know, when things weren't all straight up or feeling good and you're going through the ups and the downs and trying to bring something new to market? Like what continued for you as an entrepreneur to want to stay in this space?
0: Going back to 08, I mean, when I saw those business owners, I believe so much. I mean, here's the thing. We got plenty of incentive to spend money in this country. We have very little to save. And when I look at that, it's just, that seems really kind of crazy to me. I mean, it seems slightly insane. You know, Hey, we're all entrepreneurs and I, I'm a calculated risk taker. Whenever I can calculate the risk, I can measure the reward. Then if I can't calculate the risk. I don't know how you manage the reward fact of things. And so for me, it's just, it was so important for me and and it drove my mission. And it's to to this day that we need to make this a normal business practice, every business owner, every successful enterprise out there ought to be able to have the ability to put away tax deferred income of their business that they created a profit in, they took an idea and ran with it. And now they've threaded the needle not to be able to take some risk off the side and park it for unforeseen issues that come up in today's complicated world. Education is a big part of all this and and awareness is always a big part of anything, right? But, and and again, I I say it all the time, you you might have heard me say this another other. where it's a tool. You know, If you're gonna coach, you're gonna advise clients, you're gonna be a tax advisor, not just a tax preparer, and you're gonna consult with business owners, Bringing these tools to the table can be the difference between living and dying uh, on a business. And so to me, I you know, it's just, it's my passion for it, not just monetarily. Obviously we've done well financially too, but for the most part though, man, it's been the belief that, and, and I don't think we're making more risk takers. And that's a really big concern. I mean, that was the dream of, you know, it wasn't just a fence and a picket fence. It was owning your own business. I mean, we had so many more business owners back in the early 1900s compared to today, yeah. you know, now we have. Big corporations and everybody's big dream is to sell to one of them one day. And I, I just sit here and think, man, you know, small businesses, if you truly want to have a lifestyle where you own your time and you do the right things for your community and you're in a position to do that, it's owning a small business that allows you to do that. And I just want more of that and and be able to hedge against risk at times,
1: for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. Was there a point at all in your journey of getting this off the ground and building it up where you almost walked away or you were kind of like this isn't going to work or something like what did you have one of those moments
0: yeah i mean you know this thing is a regulated tool the irs doesn't like them of course mm-hmm. they've been abused shockingly i tell people you know it's a tax code <laughs> so of course it's been abused yeah you know the tea party was a real thing we threw you know it's Americans hate paying taxes i get it yeah. and then you open the door an inch and they want to take A mile i yeah but everything's kind of coming back in line with some of the things that have gone on and and congress is a big believer in this code but at times yeah absolutely i mean regulations and big government stepping in on you it can be scary it can be fearful and (laughs) and that's one of the things that you know i've had to check myself on it's like no we're doing it right i mean we're doing the best we can based on the knowledge we have we're trying to make sure the client wins sleep easy at night knowing that because I do want our clients to win. I, I figure if the client wins, everything else will work itself out. And it, so far it's worked out pretty good.
1: So, That's amazing. The podcast is Go Big to Get Big. And, and when we're talking about going bigger, this is something that I believe is going to allow people to think bigger, feel more confident to go bigger. In that kind of context of allowing a small business to go bigger, what kind of confidence do you think this would give them? So in like a real life example, let's just say, you know, you know, we did talk about risk and mitigating the risk, but what about the ability for them to put some money away as a small business that might not be thinking about this? What confidence does that give them to take some more risk on the other end in the fact of going bigger as opposed to just staying stagnant and using it as a safety net, using it as a vessel to say, you know what, I have this safety. Now I can actually go and try something and go a little bit bigger in the the scheme of go big to get big
0: i'd say this quite often one of the biggest compliments we get from our clients is that they just sleep easier at night knowing that they've done our program so right there should give them enough confidence to want to move forward and and get bigger the other thing i would say is that you know this this vehicle allows options on the table they wouldn't otherwise have and the more options you have in opportunity times meaning that You can make these decisions. You're not putting into a blinders. You're not putting into a tunnel vision where you have one or two choices at the table, this thing gives you have multiples of options and the more options you can have in those times and unforeseen issues, the better decisions that can be made and that builds your confidence. I hope businesses always want to
1: grow and, you know, and, and they have the incentive to want to grow. I think we add to that for sure. That's amazing transitioning a little bit over to the give big side now, you know, we don't let anybody come on the show unless they've got some sort of giving initiative or philanthropy as part of their core values of life. And when we chatted it before the show, it was apparent that that's something that you truly believe in is not just making profits, but doing good with it and making impact. And you shared a little bit of how you work with your employees to incentivize them a little bit or work with them to support some of their causes. So walk us through a little bit of how your organization works with their employees to work on the giving component.
0: You bet. So every one of my employees from day one on a calendar annual basis it has the ability to $500 donation on their behalf from our company. So as long as it's 501c and it's a passion that they're involved in or you know something they want to give to, you know, we'll give up to $500 and to that bent to that 501c of their interest or whoever it might be. And that's just an ongoing benefit as part of really our benefit packages. It's one of the things that we've been able to offer and we're proud to be able to offer that as a small employer, because truthfully, not a lot of small employers are doing that, right? But it's 500 bucks and I have 22 employees, right? But also formed a committee about three years ago. We try to designate dollars set aside every year. We're targeting, you know, families, family charities and veteran charities. Those are the two that I most want to give to and really it's for local purposes. We're not giving to a national company, we donate money here and there, but yeah. you know, from a focus standpoint and you know, we got people reaching out to us from time to time that need help and you know, we want to be able to position to help them and you know, from shelters and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that, you know,
1: from time to time are down on their luck and if we're in a position to help with that. I'm grateful. And a lot of stats that they've about employees that work underneath employers that do volunteering work or support their causes are, I don't even remember what it was, I think it was like 75 or 80% more likely to stay with their company long-term if their employer showed some giving initiatives on their behalf. And so I'm curious, have you seen some of that with some of your initiatives? Like, I know it's a small amount, but it's not the amount, it's the thought that you care about their causes. Has it had a big impact on some of your employees or have they shared any of that with you? You know, I think if they've been surprised, the ones, especially people
0: that were growing. Yeah. (laughs) So I think with this year alone, we've hired eight new people and this will be the first time a lot of them can give to their charity uh, a sizable dollar amount for what they've been doing, you know, on their own behalf. So I think, absolutely. I think the loyalty to your point is it helps. And you know, that matters today. I mean, loyalty matters. I mean, it's tough. I mean, you know, you you spend a lot of money, you train folks and and you want them to stay, and and you want to make it as not only a, a great environment from a work standpoint,
1: but also knowing that we care about our community. Yeah, that's huge. And and you mentioned something there about you know uh, the cost to rehire. Oftentimes people look at donations as an expense to their company, but they don't look at the expense of having employee turnover and stuff. And so the fact you have this initiative in, and when I share these stats of how many, it's absurd. Like when I was reading some of the stats about how much employer intention increases when the employer cares about the giving initiatives for their employees, it is insane, the numbers. It wasn't just like, oh, 20% want to stay more. It's like three quarters of your employees are happier with their employers and they want to stay. And so, kudos to you for coming up with this initiative and wanting to do that. I'm curious to know what drove you to do it? What, like, most people I talk to don't have that you know, first initial instinct and they're growing their company. And it's like, we've got yeah. to survive. So what made you want to come up with this initiative for your employees? You know, it really comes down to wanting to differentiate ourselves in
0: space. If we're going to be, you know, we're competing with, for talent. I mean, we live in uh, Boise. That's where mm-hmm. our company's headquartered. We're in, you know, our pool of talent. People that find out to be important
1: are the people wow. I want to be working for. me. That's it. That's so oh man, you're speaking my language. I'm going to have these deep conversations about employees very often with people because people are so uh, afraid to, people don't think that employees care, right? That's one of the problems is people just think it's only $500, what's my employee care? But employees truly care about it. So kudos to you for putting that in and building that initiative from the beginning. I know you mentioned a little bit and I want to hear just briefly, but you said you're really big into conservation and wildlife. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a cool one. Not a lot of people talk about charities and think about conservation and wildlife. They often think about the sex trafficking or the, you know, military supports and things like that. What has you excited about conservation and wildlife or what made you want to choose that? You know, one of the,
0: I grew up, I mean, I grew up being a, a you know, being a conservationist and my dad was, and, you know, I had my first grandkid actually, mm. I got another one coming. So when you start thinking about the experiences you had as a child, you want to make sure those things continue forward. And, I think conservation of wildlife, not only from a wetland standpoint, and and we're talking about environment, it comes from a different angle of environment, right? Where we want to preserve, conservationists want to preserve what's out there for the public to enjoy. And, you know, I live in Idaho, one of the beautiful states in, in the United States. And, you know, we're fortunate to have a lot of federal public land here and have recreational activities that I don't think other people in the world and other people in the country for that matter can enjoy like we do. And so. For me, it's it's almost self-serving, to be quite honest with you, to want to be a, a conservationist and want to give to conservation organizations in the preservation of land, of wetlands specifically to, and there's a lot of different opportunities out there too for people, but that's always been a big part of me. And that's me personally, from a personal level, more than anything else, not from a company standpoint.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I just wanted to ask that because most people, like I said, I talk to, they have some of these other main pointed ones. And you're probably the first person I've heard that shared that one of the things that you love to support personally is the conservation. So I love uh, that answer. And it means something to me. I'm a big fisherman. I love the outdoors. And there's just, we're never going to get back what we lose. And so I believe in the conservation as well and, and supporting a lot of things like Ducks Unlimited and other things up in our area. So absolutely amazing. Before we transition to our giving round here, I do have the, the question we ask all of our guests here, Van, is I want to give you a second to brag on yourself, you know, a favorite moment of giving that you've had, something that gives you goosebumps thinking about it, maybe something you haven't, you know, shared too much, but something that was special to you.
0: Well, actually it was September of last year. I just bought this building and the person I bought it from was actually a friend of mine and he moved out and it was a vacant building. And one of my employees actually came to me and said, Hey, there's this organization that gets together and starts to sell pumpkins, and then also they do some Christmas tree sales, and, and they're doing it really to raise funds to gift care packages for soldiers that have been deployed. And so building wasn't being used. I was like, yeah, they can absolutely use it for the, you know, I think it ended up being three or four months. And we actually helped them out a little bit financially too with some of the electrical bills and all that stuff. But the, the lady that headed that up, I mean, she had some very personal phone calls to me and thanking me, and she's crying to me on the phone. And Cause it was never been so successful. It was well trafficked. It get built building areas, kind of a retail space. And so the, she'd never been able to be in that kind of a space before. And it was huge dividends for her and, and the awareness of her organization went way up and it was great. And it, it really wasn't kind of off the cuff. It really wasn't costing me anything, but it, it ended up being a big deal. And
1: it was, it was a good feeling for sure. I love that, man. And that's honestly something we hear all the time. It's just such a little act of kindness for yourself means so much to somebody else in another space. And there's probably nothing that makes people feel happier than getting those phone calls of somebody saying the impact that you had. So kudos for you for making that work. We're going to dive into what we call the giving round now, which is just some rapid fire, quick answer questions around giving back. Are you ready for them? I think so. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> on one charity that you like. Ducks Unlimited. Amazing. It's a great charity. Uh, what would get you more excited? Donating $1 million or spending a week physically helping others? A million. Donating yeah. a million. Yeah, you can make a lot of impact. More, more
0: impactful than what I can bring to the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Who
1: inspires you with their giving?
0: You know, observing other people, I suppose. I was in the service for a little while and uh, I had a chief of mine. That, he's a big
1: giver. I would say him. Yeah. Observing other leaders that gave. Yeah, it's special. In the context of maybe how you've implemented the $500 for all your employees, do you think businesses should start giving from the very beginning of when they've created or after they've had some success and money?
0: Man, it's it's hard one. That's I, I don't know because I, I didn't start immediately either, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. So that's a hard one. I, I think business owners should, you know, they're driving their own ship anyway. So they need to be consciously aware. I do think with success brings responsibility and eventually you, do need to migrate that way. If you're going to be a, a, a successful company in your community, I think giving is just, you just got to make that a line item for your ability to move forward. If you can make it part of your business
1: plan in the beginning, I think that's super, super wise. And on the headband, that's what we try and preach here. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the term go big? to give big? You do need to take some risk at times and the risk does pay
0: off and affordability to do what we've done. I mean, I, like I said, I have a responsibility to the team that works for me now, that, that work with me. And not only that, and, and the community I help support and all the things that come along with that, because without them, I wouldn't be here either. And so I think it kind of goes hand in hand. So first off, you got to think big to go big. And, and I think that's one of the trappings we get into is we don't think big enough. You start thinking, and you you start putting plans together and goals, and and you start to visualize it. And without vision on it, you can't see it. So, all of those things require for you to go big. And and if part of your motivation is to give back, you know, not just again monetarily. And and here's the thing, man, Randy, I, I believe in this country, if you're prone to make money, you're going to make money. It doesn't matter if you're selling widgets or you're selling cars. You're just going to do it. And If you have those
1: gifts and I call them gifts, you should be giving it out. Absolutely, man. That's beautiful. In one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Satisfaction. Mm, That's a great one. The final question for you today, Van, before we end the podcast here. Do you believe that money can be used to buy you happiness? No, but it gives
0: you the ability to think about how you want to be happy. Mm. Elaborate. Unfortunately, we have to have money, right? Once that need, once that's being met, I think you can absolutely find your happiness. But that doesn't mean it's, you're going to stay happy. It's a fleeting thing on a continuum. But at the same time, having money definitely gives you affords you the ability to have the time
1: to think about what's going to make you happy. Beautiful answer, man. I love that. Well, then it's been so great having you on. I want to give you a few moments now. If people have loved what you've been saying, they want to learn more about the tax strategies or your company or the 831B, how can they get in touch with you? How can they learn about it? What's the best thing for them to do? You know, the best thing I would tell people is go to our website. We happen to have the domain 831B.com.
0: Again, I have a much better marketing department than when I first started this number of years ago, 16 years ago. But yeah, so I would say start there. From there, you can go to our team. you know, we have about 150 advisors around the country that represent our products and and so maybe somebody in their own backyard even that that knows really a lot about us could be available for them to talk to. And then we have clients all over the country as well, that we're happy to have referrals for. So, but I I do think it's a tool in a toolbox. I think you owe it to yourself as a business owner. And if you're a key officer in a company or anybody else to manage risk today in an ever going complicated world we're in, if you can head anywhere If you can hedge on your risk, I think you can be a better business owner to stabilize your company
1: and go big. That's amazing, man. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Ben, and inspiring us to go bigger with our dreams and goals so we can get bigger with our profits. And I look forward to seeing what you continue to do for this space and supporting small business owners. So thanks for coming in. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of go big to get big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.